All right, Amos chapter 4, and it starts with one of, the most famous text in Amos is the let justice roll down like a river, which will come later. Um, but this starts with another famous verse in Amos um, that I don't ever see on Instagram. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so this is Amos, or the Lord speaking through Amos, continuing to address Israel for things that they have done wrong, how they've broken their covenant with God, and now as a result of that, Punishment is coming, but Madison has it, not a trick question, has the punishment come yet? No, because why? Why hasn't God brought punishment yet? What's the, what's the good thing that he's trying to do here? Yeah, let them turn. Let, he's patient. He's trying to help this, help this get better. So in the meantime, though, he's, he wants them to turn from their ways, so he addresses them as follows. Um, Man, what a, what a verse to start us on tonight. Christian, would you mind kicking us off with Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Nice. So, so yeah. Does anybody has anyone seen a cows of Bashan post on Instagram lately? In your quiet time, that's so weird. Okay. So he calls these people cows of Bashan. Um, Alexa, what specific demographic is he addressing here? According to verse one, the win- yeah. I, Amos is not the most politically correct guy on the planet, right? But he's trying to get his point across. So, so what's going on? Bashan is a rich pasture land in ancient world. So this is a, he's, this is a reference to wealthy women in Israelite society. And it's not a crime to be wealthy, but wealthy women in Israelite society who have been living off of others and are not contributing to society in any way. They're, they're not trying to help their fellow man. They're not trying to do anything. Samaria, right? Samaria is the capital of Israel. Okay, which is why he says Mount Samaria. So these are elite, wealthy people living in the big city okay, who are not doing anything to help their neighbors. Um, they do two things that Christian read in verse 1. Um, well, really three, but the two things that are kind of back-to-back that they do. Rachel, do you see one of them in verse 1? What do they do? Good. They oppress the, the poor. Nor Jane, do you see something else in verse 1 that they do? You what now? Both. Neither of her are great. Yeah, no, you're fine. Both. No, that's great. Um, look at Nora Jane, guessing two. Amazing. So, so they oppress the poor. They crush the needy. They are completely self-centered. But this last one is kind of weird. Like, you oppress the poor. We can all agree. Boo, that's pretty bad. You crush the needy. That is also bad. And, and what's this last thing, Alexa, that they do that's so horrible? Yeah, for shame, right? So this is, this is this idea of, does anyone have anything other than, mine says, and you say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Is there anything, anyone have anything different there? Other than like say to your husband? Okay, the word here is literally to command, but it's also, but it's this idea of, there. yeah, Will. Yeah, so it's this idea of like, 
there's zero, and we, we'll talk about this way later, so just, but just hang with me. This is not in any way a husband and wife submissive headship relationship. This is not a good marriage. This is not a good marriage. Like, the marriage part of Israel is also broken here, which is part of what he's talking about here. These women are just demanding things. They're in no way trying to help. And then we get into verse 2. We get into verse 2. Um, Christian, could you read verse 2? Okay, the Lord swears, but when you swear, you know, you swear by something to show, why, why do you swear by something? To show what, Scott? To, to show what about this vow that you're making? Exactly. If the more intense, so, so Nora Jane, fill this in. The more intense the thing you swear by, the more what your vow is. Yeah, the more serious it is. And so God swears by what in verse 2? By what? His holiness. I don't know any... So you know the Bible calls God holy, holy, holy? It's the only thing that God has triple repeated on in the Bible. We talked about this in Revelation. This is, the, this is an extremely important thing that, that God is swearing. And he swears by something that will never change. So whatever he's going to say is not changing. In ancient times, when an army conquered another people, they would lead them away in, out of their home into another land, hooked together through the lip. It's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, another one that's not in Instagram, which is so weird. Like, pretty, pretty brutal here. And so God is being pretty brutal here to show, this is what's coming for you. And, and he backs it up again in verse 3. Um, Rachel, could you read verse 3? Good. So mine, yeah. So perfect. Mine says cast straight out through the breaches. Breaches are the same thing for if there's a hole in the gate of your city, like they've breached. They've breached the, you know, they've breached the city or whatever. They've broken through, which means. So now, how? Now think about this. Follow this logic, Ben. How does a how does that hole get in their wall to the city? What puts the hole in the wall? Probably. Did someone trip and fall? Right. Any, yeah, any, Scott, is this good news or bad news? Yeah, this is an approaching army of some sort. It's going to take you guys, take you by fish hooks and lead you out of the city through the holes that they made in your wall. If you don't turn this thing around, if you don't, now, turn this thing around doesn't mean stop doing the bad stuff and start doing the good stuff. It does mean that, but not just turn around, but what's he really want them to do, Sam? What's he really want them to do? Yeah, not just change their behavior. Come back to me. Come back to me, and your behavior will change through that. Harmon, it's interesting. I was reading in my commentary. This guy said, uh, "We don't know. We don't know what Harmon is. It don't don't dig too deep in there. Don't miss the meal for the side dish." But Harmon is just a, a place that's not Israel. You're, it's not your home, so it's not good news. All right, and this is an interesting couple of verses here. Um, Ari, would you mind reading four and five? Go Braves, by the way. Great hat. Good. So this is God 
telling them to do something. Uh, in verse 4, uh, Ari's version said transgress, which is great. Does anybody have anything different there, Alexa? To sin. Christian, what you got? Rebel? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So God is telling them to do this, okay? Alexa, just read verse 4. So God is telling them, not a trick question, Rachel, God is telling them to do what in verse 4? So, all right, let's back up. God in verse 2 swore by his what? His, his holiness. And now he's telling them to go out and do what? So think about this, though. What, what's the word here? When you're telling somebody to do something that you really, you definitely don't want them to do, what's this word? God is being, he's being what? He's being sarcastic. I love that God is sarcastic. That is so cool to me because I'm sarcastic all the time. And most of the time, mine is not as good as, well, most of the time, mine is never as good as God's. But I just think it's so cool that, that God has, like we picture him as like this light that like doesn't do anything. It's just there and it's amazing. And I think a lot of that's true. But God slash Jesus slash the Holy Spirit, he has some personality to him. Right? He does. He's got some flavor in there. This, like, I don't know, Matt Chandler talks about, like, what kind of a God invents a steak burrito? That's an awesome God. That's a God who's got a little something going on, right? So he sarcastically tells them, go and sin. Go to, now, we know that these two places. Ari, what's one of the two places in verse four? All right, Bethel, and then Sam, what's the other place in verse four? All right, we know that Bethel and Gilgal are sinners for false worship. This isn't, this is false worship. So go, go to Gilgal and, and do what? And do what? Um, Rachel, what does he tell them to do? Not just sin, but in verse four, what are they supposed to do when they get there? Bring, bring your, bring your tithes, bring your sacrifices, and just keep on worshiping this false god there. And how does, how does Israel feel about doing these things according to verse 5? How do they feel about it, Will, in verse 5? Because you what? They, you guys love doing this. And, and we see other things in here. Scott, what's, give me two things that they do in verse 5. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either way, I think, I think the big point here is it's some form of offering, some form of grain worship or something. And the problem, Ari, what's the big, obviously worship is great, but what's the big problem with verses four and five? What's Israel doing wrong with their worship? Worshiping the wrong God. And the reason they do it is because why in verse five? Because I know that you what? They love doing this. Um, they, to them, it's what? What's the, they don't think they're sinning. They're doing what? What's, this, what's the word for all sacrifices and offerings and leavened and whatever? They're doing what? They're, they're worshiping. And, they, and how do they feel about this worship? They love it. That's right. But Scott, according to verses four and five, how does God feel about these things? 
It's rebellious. This is, this is what's, what's the big word here? This is, this is sinful. It is totally possible for us to worship things and love worshiping things that God finds sinful. And this is just an example. And I, and I those of you who are new don't know me quite as well yet, but, but you guys know how I feel about things. And I, I, just because I make a specific point about a specific demographic of people, I'm not trying to demonize this group of people. Does that make sense? I'm just giving you an example. I saw a YouTube clip several years ago of a woman being led in worship at a church, what I'm doing with my fingers here, a church by a transgender female priest singing songs to the universe. And in this worship, what I'm doing with my fingers, at this church, like the woman being led in worship was like crying tears of like joy and all this stuff. And she said, I've never, she ended the interview because she's an atheist. So she goes to church, which is so sad that that's what that was. And she's like, I've never felt this close to God before. And then a guy comes up to her and is like, oh, it's like that every week here. I love this church. I love this church. Her feelings, right? This must be God because of how I feel. You guys know what a compass is? Like in Pocahontas? That's, I don't know why I think of that, but I do. So whatever. But so, I know, it's so random. But you got the compass. Imagine you're on a boat and you're sailing or whatever boats do and you've got your compass out. Now imagine you throw the compass in the water and you jump on it to try to float to shore. Alexa, how is that gonna go? It's gonna be awful. Your feelings and your emotions are, are God-given. Jesus had emotions, lots of emotions. Your feelings are a good compass for things in your life. They are. I don't feel great about this. Well, maybe we shouldn't do it, right? Your feelings are a good compass, but they make a horrible guide. Like they make a horrible, you can't go your whole distance based on feelings. It's the ship that gets you there. Does that make sense? You can't go the whole way on feelings alone. Feelings are meant to be a guide, but when we let that guide be the thing that carries us, we get into trouble. Does that make sense? You guys follow that? Are you cooking on something, Butel? Sure. Sure, 100%. Yeah, Jeremiah. This is great. And, and Scott makes a great point. I think this is what we have to call like Christian maturity. So, yes. I, or go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, the, I think when we become Christians, Jesus redeems every part of us, right? Including our emotions, right, are things that used to, not everything, because we, we internally struggle, but things that we used to be drawn towards, now we are repulsed by. And things that we used to be repulsed by, like the Bible is boring and oppressive, and I don't want, now we want to read it. There's a change in the emotional state, right? And, and this is right, you're right, Scott, like emotions are gifts from the Lord, but even as Christians, we have to be careful with these things, right? We have to, especially as college Christians, getting caught up in the moment. You guys will see this too, unfortunately. Adults are just big 12-year-olds. They really are. Like, they, it, doesn't ch it don't change. Like, adults get caught up in the moment. Plenty. Myself included. And P that's why Peter tells us to be sober-minded, right? So, anyway, as we go through these things, like, if you, do, if you look at history at all, the Nazi government, Hitler didn't take over. He was voted in, if you go back and look. 
voted in, which means these people felt this is the right move. This is our guy. Like, and you see these pictures of all these teenagers and stuff waving the Nazi flag and celebrating and all this stuff. Like, our hearts cannot, just like Scott said, our hearts cannot be the only driver in things, right? We have to use God's word, right? We have to look to his word to determine our worship, right? We have to. We have to, we have to, we have to. Um, Also, notice here, God is really kind of starting the punishment here because Israel is, so Christian, Israel is worshiping falsely, bringing bringing false idols to false gods and offerings. And in four and five, basically, what does God tell them to do? Keep doing it. If you love it so much, I'm going to give this to you. This is a theological, you don't have to talk about a quiz. This is a theological term called judicial abandonment. Judicial, meaning it's correct. This is, this is the correct judicial response to this. Abandonment, he's left them. Um, some of you guys have probably experienced this before. My little sister, when she was like super, super little, she kept wanting to touch the stove just one time. Just let me do it one time. And my mom, of course, was like, no. No, you cannot do that. Do not touch the stove. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And finally, my mom was like, fine. You want to do it? And just one finger, like she didn't like, it wasn't something crazy. But like she went, boom, and disaster, right? But judicial abandonment is the Lord saying, you want this so bad. You want this so much more than me. I've given you every opportunity to turn. Okay. And he lets them have this sin that they want so badly. And that's what begins the process of destroying them. Does that make sense? This, this, this process of self-destruction is about to start here, right? He is starting to sever that connection with Israel. So that's what's going on here. Um, and they're bringing it on themselves. How, how, does, how is Israel doing in terms of their treatment of the poor, Rachel. How are they doing? They're, yeah, good. They're not at all. They're not at all. The, the, the country is starting to crumble from within. There's already abuse. Marriage is a disaster. We learned several weeks ago, sex is a disaster. There's temple prostitution. It's, it's an absolute wreck, right? And then we get into the next part here. Um, let's go, Samantha, can you read? Oh, yeah, okay. These all go together. So 6 through 11 go together, okay? So what we'll do is, Sam, I'm, we're just going to knock it out. I want you to read 6 through 11. Cool? Go, girl. Destroying 
good, Sam. That was excellent. So we get a lot of things here, okay? Anybody want to take a swing? It's, it's not the most hidden thing in the world. It, what, spark note this for me. What is God doing here? What's he showing Israel? What's going on here? And we're going to go through it. Go ahead, Will. True, for sure. He is saying that. What's he doing with this stuff with Israel? Over and over, and then what happens? And over and over. What's going on here? What's going on here? So that's, that's part of it. That's part of it. You're, you're almost there. The second half is right. The second half is right. He's not making everything right. You're almost there. What you got, Ari? Right. Mm-hmm. Good, good. This is over. You guys are all that. You guys all did a great job. So a couple things here, and this is so important. Over and over again, God is going to allow these things to happen to Israel in hopes that they will what? Return to Him. And over and over, this refrain repeats: they will not return. Okay, look at look at this first one, verse six. Um, Ari, can you just read six? Good. We'll come back to it. We'll go by verse by verse. But empty stomachs, clean teeth, ox Clean teeth. What's a bad way that your teeth are clean uh, in terms of food? If, you have, if nothing's on your teeth, that means you're not what? You're not eating. That's what this means. He's not saying, like, I gave you great dental coverage and you still did not return to me. Like, he's saying you had nothing to go into your teeth to eat and still you did not return to me. Empty stomachs. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, <laughs> it, it's a good guess, I guess. Uh, so this is a bad thing. I withheld rain, no, you're fine. I withheld rain from you for harvest. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? This is a bad thing. And this is super important. And I think the fact that we're kind of wrestling with this is huge. One of the things that this is teaching us is that God is sovereign over good things and bad things. He is sovereign over good things and bad things. Now, James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God doesn't do evil, but he allows it. Think about the most, one of the most famous verses in Genesis, Genesis 50, 20, when Joseph is sold into slavery. Do you guys remember Genesis 50, 20? You guys know what it is? Oh, go ahead, all right. Do you know what it is? It's the same word in Hebrew. What you meant for evil, your plan, what you meant for evil, God allowed for good? No, God meant this for good. God allowed this to happen. He saw this evil coming. He could have stopped it. He chose not to in the process that good would come from it. And this is something that we as Christians have to start to, you've got to widen your theology a little bit. Because, man, I'm telling you, it is a comfort of all comforts to know at the very back of your situation there is a good God. This is what Charles Spurgeon says, okay? It would be a very frightening thing for me to think that I have, a, have an affliction which God did not send me. It would be very frightening to me to think that I have a, a suffering which God did not send me. So he's taking comfort in the fact that 
God did send this to him. Why? Because he says, that would mean that the bitter cup was not filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement. What's Spurgeon saying there? It's fancy talk, but what's he saying there? Why is he glad that this suffering is from God's hand? Why is he glad of that? It does prove he's sovereign. You're there. Let's think of that. Hear it again. This would mean that the bitter cup was not filled by his hand, that my trials were not measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement. So he's glad that it's from God because why, Scott? Yeah. Yeah, as Well, exactly. And I think I think cuz he says if it was sent to me by someone else, this would mean that the bitter cup was not filled by his hand. So somebody else is doing this. That that my trials were not measured out by him, which means they're measured out by somebody else instead of God. Do you guys know the band Switchfoot? Are you guys familiar with this band at all? Okay, there's hope for us yet. Let's go. Will, are you awake? Is he not awake? Can you tap him? That's so weird right now. Yeah, stay f- hang with me, buddy. Um, is it that bad? Golly. Um, all right, so there's a band called Switchfoot. Switchfoot has a song called The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. We've talked about this before. The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. Shadow, boo, dark, can't see anything, right? But behind a shadow is an object, right? But shadows, now this is huge, man. Shadows only happen when what hits an object? Light. Does that make sense? Behind every shadow, the shadow wouldn't exist. Like, tell me there's not proof of God in nature, right? The shadow would not exist if the light behind it wasn't first at work. Do you see what I mean? So this darkness that you experience, it, it does stink. It is an affliction and a suffering. But behind it, and, and it's not in our pay grade to always know why. It's okay if you don't know why. And we could go into a whole different thing. But there's a light behind it. And when you realize that, that's a game changer. I'm not saying you're going to go around like high-fiving everybody every time something goes bad, but you will have a ground of hope that's, that's deeper. Does that make sense? You follow that? Any thoughts on that before we move on? Questions on that? Comments on that? Everybody good? All right. Um, all right, verse 6, I give you empty stomachs and lack of bread in every town. What's the, the Bible word for that? That's a what? Or the, what's the agricultural word for that? This is a famine. Yeah, sorry, I thought I had it. All right, it's a famine. And the, the response, Israel's response in verse 6 is what, Ari? Still you don't return. 7 and 8, I withheld rain from you. Um, one field had rain and another one dried up. People staggered from town to town looking for water. That's a what? This is a drought, and not just a drought, but he sends water to some towns, which leads to what's a problem that could come if water only comes to one town? What's about to be that town's biggest problem? Do what? That's exactly right. That's there. Everybody's going to come to that town. So you have this logistical nightmare. You have all this confusion. And according to verse 8, Sam, what is Israel's response? 
They have not returned, right? They do not return. And that could be something too. Instead of returning to me, you go where? You try to go to town, you try to, oh, the end, it's not here. Look up, look up. All right, verse nine. Uh, oh, by the way, are we good on the clean teeth thing? Does that make sense? You guys follow that? It's because there's no food. Okay. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, I mean, dental hygiene is important. Um, that's part of the message too, I'm sure. All right, number nine, verse nine. The gardens and the vineyards are struck with blight and mildew. Do you guys know what these things are? These are, what's the problem here? What's going on? Go ahead, Will. Yeah, so this is what were you saying, Alexa? These, these gardens are being wiped out by this, by this natural plant disease. And then the last one in verse 10. Um, Rachel, could you just read verse 10? good. So he sends opposing armies and still they did not return, which is a good reminder to us though that God is sovereign over this thing about these things that we've listed. What are some things that we've just listed here that God is sovereign over that you can take from these verses? Go ahead, Scott. War, that's huge, man. Think about Russia, Ukraine, right? And I'm not saying, oh, it's good because God is in it. Yes, I'm saying God is sovereign in this, though. He's still in control. He knows what's happening there. Um, disease, the economy, environmental issues, the death of those plants and stuff, right? He's, he is sovereign in all these things that work in all these things. Um, look at, let's go, Butel, can you read verse 11? Wow, there's a lot in here. This word overthrow is used six times in the Old Testament and every time it's used with Sodom and Gomorrah. Every time it is connected to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah for a minute. Um, Gosh, there's so much in here. There is a belief among your generation and my generation. Do you guys know this? What is the common kind of popular belief of some people that's not correct? as to why Sodom and Gomorrah was overthrown. Do you guys know this? What's it's because they were practicing sodomy? Well, yeah, that's the, like, what, do you guys know, are you guys familiar with this at all? There's, there's kind of a current belief that Sodom and Gomorrah, it was lack of hospitality. That's the big deal, because they're, try, they're not being welcoming at all. This is pushed. This is pushed by scholarship now. Um, now we have sermons that I've done before on same-sex attraction and things like that that you guys need to look at and talk to. But one, so just use your brain for like a second and a half. What is wrong with that idea? The Israelites weren't exactly hospitable either. Right, but like, what is wrong with this theory that's it's that that's what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's also like. It's a blatant ignoring of what's in the text, okay? It is a blatant refusal of common sense. Israel, like Ben said, actually, Israel is often bad at hospitality, but God's never like, you know what? I'm gonna light this whole thing up because you didn't welcome him. Like that doesn't happen ever in the Bible. God constantly refers to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about it. This is the last one of these verses. 
God constantly refers to Sodom and Gomorrah when getting to the bottom of something that's really, really bad. Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and the improper sexual attraction, but also the sexual aggression that they showed, all of these things together are what infuriate God. Now, back to verse 11. Who is God comparing to Sodom and Gomorrah here? Israel. His own people are being compared to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is this kind of scandalous call-out to what's happening. Also, we see this all throughout verses 6 through 11. You got famine, you got drought, you got locusts, you got opposing armies and disease. These are not random punishments. He's not like, uh, locusts would be cool, uh, drought would be cool. These match up with Leviticus and Deuteronomy as specific punishments when, uh, when you break God's covenant. This is a specific punishment for breaking God's covenant. God's point here is not, I'm mad, so I'm going to figure out something that you're going to hate. He's saying, we specifically went over these things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you have broken these covenants. I sent you prophets. I'm begging you to stop this. I'm showing you covenant signs that you, if you do this in the covenant, I'm going to do this. And he does it, and they don't get it. They won't change. And then in verse 10, um, Alexa, can you read 10 till I stop you? That's it right there. Who does he compare them to there? Egypt. And yet, why did God send Pharaoh? Now think about it. Let's connect it all. Why did God keep sending plagues on Egypt? Come on, church kids. Why did God, if you're not a church kid, that's totally okay. Why did God send, I mean, you are right now because you're right. Why did God keep sending plagues to Egypt? Why did he keep sending them? Pharaoh wouldn't let Moses go. What were you going to say? Somebody? Rachel? Where you at? Now think about this. Because Pharaoh's heart continually was hardened. So what is God saying about Israel here? Go ahead, Sam. Your heart is continuing to harden. You're doing, the problem is not ultimately that you're sleeping around. That's a child's answer. Biblically speaking, what's the reason you're sleeping around? Do it, uh, what was going on in Egypt? What's the real reason you're sleeping around? Because why? Because your heart is hardened to me. This is why in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel doesn't say, I'm going to change your rules so you'll stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. He says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Because I'm going to, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not, I used to be a bad kid and now I'm a good kid. That's true, but it's deeper than that. This didn't want to do the right thing. And the Lord reaches in here and changes stuff. And here in the same way, Amos 4 is an echo of Exodus. Over and over, the hearts are hardened. Over and over, what does God say over and over in verses 6 through 11? Over and over, you what? Go ahead, Alexa. You did not return to me. You did not return to me. Be thankful that, some, that sometimes, well, be thankful sometimes. It's hard to be thankful all the time. But be thankful that God is over your suffering. Because that suffering, I know it sucks, man. I know it sucks. I know it sucks. 
That suffering is so often what softens up our hearts in a way that gentleness just won't do it. But the Lord loves us enough to pull us into the... Were you guys here when I talked about Absalom a couple weeks ago? You guys remember this? Do you guys know who... Not, not Absalom, um, Lot. Abraham's nephew, Lot. You guys remember this? And the angels come and they tell... At, oh, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And it, they tell Lot, you gotta get out of here because I'm gonna blow this thing up. And, and yeah, Lot's wife looks back and gets turned to a pillar of salt, but what does Lot originally do or not do? Go ahead, Nora Jane. He doesn't wanna leave. And so what do those angels do? They lit, lit, That's the Hebrew, they yank him. Yeah, I don't know. They literally grab him and pull him. Well, that's not very loving. It 100% is loving. Why is that loving, Sam? Why is it loving to grab him and pull him sometimes? Because he wouldn't leave. That's right, Sam. Because he wouldn't leave any other way. Man, God sends difficult people into our lives. Does he not? People that it's like, what the, why are you here again? And there's people that won't leave. They're the ones that don't leave. The cool ones are the ones that, that dip out and it's like, oh, come on. But the ones that are tough are the ones that don't leave. Why? Well, there's a, one, there's a billion reasons, but two, because God uses those things. And that, like, we, we a lot of times give ourselves way too much credit. Lord, I would turn to you if you would just remove this from my life. No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. And God knows that. And so he sends us people that it's like, God, you gotta get me out of this. But sometimes he uses that situation to draw us closer to him. Does that make sense? It doesn't feel like it all the time, but this is what the Bible says. And so as we learn about this, we, we learn it more. All right, um, last couple deals here. Ari, right, can you read 11 one more time? So here, it's not just punishment. It's not just punishment. What happens to them in verse 11? What happens to them? Nora Jane, what are they called here? Is it good or bad to pluck something out of, to pluck something that's burning that's not supposed to be burning, to pull it out of the fire? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? This is a good thing. I saved you. So I've punished you and I've saved you from things and still you would not return to me. 12 and 13 and then we're done. You guys are doing great. Butel, can you read 12 and 13? Good. So verse 12, therefore, meaning since you've done these things, this is what's going to happen now. Again, it's perfect justice. He's not being, you know, temperamental. This is perfect justice. I'm coming to Israel for punishment. The nightmare behind all nightmares in our lives is not being single for the rest of our lives, is not being jobless and being homeless for the rest of our lives. The nightmare behind all nightmares is to meet God while we are still in our sin, 
to die, to go before God at the judgment, covered in your sin, and have no way out. That is the nightmare of nightmares, to have that door closed and you know it's not going to open again. Thank God for Jesus Christ, because we don't ever have to hear what Israel has heard in verses 12 and 13. Prepare to meet your God. In verse 13, he forms the mountains and creates the wind, meaning he creates everything. He declares to man what is his thought, meaning he shows mankind who he is. We just talked about this in nature, primarily in his word. He shows mankind who he is, who makes the morning darkness. He controls everything. Like, we've, we've learned how to control a lot of things, but we're not really good at making night not night yet. I haven't really figured that out. God does it all, literally every day, right? The Lord of hosts, which is another name for armies, is his name. This is hugely important. So we see this over and over again. Um, Satan does not want Jesus to go up on the cross, right? Why, Sam? Why doesn't Satan want Jesus to go up on the cross? Because God's word, according to Amos 4, is unbreakable. Once God has sworn to something, nothing can stop it. And on the cross, as Jesus was nailed to the cross, your fate was sealed into place. No awful boss in your life, no difficult marriage that you may one day encounter, no horrible family situation, no awful traumatic event will ever be able to pull the nails out of the cross. And Satan knows that. But now you have a hope in Jesus because of the resurrection, just like in Amos chapter four. God's word is certain and that mercy that he has promised to you is now just as certain as the wrath that's coming to Israel now. Does that make sense? Jesus takes all of God's intense energy and flips it over into mercy now for us. Does that make sense? So the big, and the big thing too here, guys, and I know it's like, wow, thanks for this, Ryan. Like, I'm hearing it too. The big message here is, guys, if you haven't turned to Jesus, if you haven't come to Christ, if you haven't taken these sins that you wrestle with and done the best you can to get accountability, to get out of them, to run to Jesus, do it, man. Get some help, talk to people, go to God, spend time with him. This is so, it's too important to not do. Does that make sense? You guys are the bomb. Um, in just a minute, I'm gonna ask uh, Scott to pray us out and then get some books, get some shirts. We'll flip the room around. Cool? Go ahead, Scott.